Lord, there is none like you, right? We're going to find that out this morning in this text. There is none. There are none like him. Before we do, uh, I, I want to mention this uh, because we, we haven't this morning. We want to welcome back Brent. Where did you go, Brent? Missed where he went. But uh, we want to welcome back Brent from, uh, from Nicaragua. And uh, he got home safely yesterday and, and said they had a great trip. Please be in prayer for Jim. Uh, he's still, he's in the jungle somewhere. <laughs> Panama. They, they, the, uh, what they told him was, I think he brought a hammock uh, and a bug net. And they said, bring a plate, a fork, and a cup. So that's what he has out there. I'm picturing something like Survivor Man. They're going to be trapping squirrels. And I, I don't know. But be praying for him that he stays healthy and I know he's going to be teaching this week that, that, uh, that God really prepares the hearts of those pastors and church leaders this week. So pray for Jim. Um, when I was in school <clears throat> and a paper or project was assigned, it was normally received in one of three ways. There was the first group who weren't really concerned about it at all. <clears throat> they were going to worry about it later if they are going to worry about it at all. And to be honest with you, I was in that group when I was in middle school, junior high, and high school. There was the second group that I was never in, and that's the, the creative minds. When they hear project, I mean, their, their minds start churning, their creative juices start flowing, and they begin to think of all the creative ways they can complete the project. And then there was the third group. They wanted to know, when is it due, and what's required to make a good grade? And, and when I was in, in college, and especially in seminary, I was in this third group. For example, when, when papers were assigned, I wanted to know what's the minimum, maximum length, when's it going to be due, how many sources to use, what sources to use, uh, double space, single space, margins. I, basically, what is needed to do well on this, on this assignment? And because I was this way, I always appreciated when certain professors would give examples or samples. They, they'd put it forward and say, this is what I'm looking for. And uh, that was really helpful to me. There, there were some very difficult projects that had I not had that, I probably would have submitted something way off base. Well, in the previous passage last week, we talked about how Paul has given Christians, the Christians at Philippi, a challenging task. We learned last week that, that the Christians at Philippi, though healthy, had issues, like all churches have, specifically with disunity. And so in verses 1 through 4, Paul calls for them to be unified, and he shows them and tells them basically that humility is the pathway to unity. And we also talked about last week how this is challenging, even though we know that it's challenging, right? And, and, and disunity is a common problem in most every church. In fact, Paul wrote about unity in some form in every one of his letters. And the reason why this is a, a common problem is because of the fact that selfishness and pride are the most common problems in our lives. And Paul, knowing this is the case... And knowing that good examples of humility are few and far between, he does something for us in this passage we're going to look at today. He puts forth the perfect model for us to follow. 
Read along with me in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, Look to Christ. Follow Christ's example. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look to Christ's perfect example of humility and discuss how we as believers can experience joy through following Christ's example of humility. Here's the first principle. You want to experience joy through humility? Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Verse 5 and 6. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Paul begins this verse by first showing Christ has the highest status imaginable. He is God. In the NASB, it translates it, although he existed. And what he's referring to here is the time before Christ came to earth to take on flesh. In other words, Christ is eternal. There has never been a time when Christ didn't exist. And then, and then Paul goes on to say this, in the form of God, meaning Christ is equal with God the Father. So Paul is basically saying this, before coming to earth, before taking on flesh, Christ existed as the eternal Son of God, equal in person to God the Father. And then he goes to say this, but even though that's the case, even though Christ was equal in nature and in essence and in form with God, Paul tells us Christ refused to selfishly cling to his equality with God. Now, I want you to think about something before we go on here. Aren't you glad he didn't cling to it? Aren't you glad he didn't say, I have the same nature and essence and form with the Father, I'm equal to him, and I refuse to become a part of my creation because I am creator God. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? Aren't you glad he didn't cling to his equality with God? But Paul tells us instead he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Now this doesn't mean that Christ gave up his authority or or cease to be God. It just means that he didn't cling to all the advantages that come with being with God. And here's what's ironic about that, and this is, I think, Paul's point that he's making here. What's ironic is that Christ, who is in the very nature, form, and essence with God, did not cling tightly to the advantages of being God, but humbled himself. And we as individuals who are not even close to being who he is, refuse to humble ourselves. It's important for us to be reminded continually of the fact that Christ humbled himself and how he humbled himself, because let's be honest, we think too highly of ourselves, don't we? My daughter Ava, and I know I use her a lot in our examples, she's good for illustrations. She doesn't like to clean her room. She, in fact, she just thinks she's above it. And in fact, the other day, she told me, she pointed the finger at me and said it was my job to clean her room. Yeah, pray for us. 
Um, and, and I was in there, and, and I was helping her clean the other day. And I was, I was trying to teach her, you know, you clean up after you mess up. And I noticed she's just over there playing with her toys and getting more toys out. And I thought, what is wrong with this picture? I'm the dad. I didn't make the mess, and I'm the dad. I'm in control, and I'm the one cleaning. And my daughter somehow thinks that it's, above, it's below her to clean her room. But we often do this, don't we? We often think in this way. We often think we're above certain things that we should, in fact, be doing. And the world kind of tells us this, doesn't it? The world tells us if you want to experience joy, you've got to think highly of yourself. You've got to treat yourself to the finer things. You've got to think of yourself as being above certain things. I was, I was looking at some slogans last week, and uh, I read a slogan for an advertisement, some type of, uh, I mean, some type of insurance that read this. For the most important person in the world, you. L'Oreal Paris slogan. Read, because you are worth it. Buy this. You're worth it. Buy it. And we're constantly being exposed to these types of messages, aren't we? Um, now, Scripture is clear that we are significant. We are special insofar as we're created in the image of God. We're loved and cared for by God. But you know what else Scripture teaches pretty clearly? We're not nearly as great and as important as we think we are, are we? We need to have a correct view of ourselves and being reminded of the fact that, that Christ humbled himself should put things into perspective for us as believers and should affect the way we view ourselves and the way we view our service for others. When Leslie and I, we were in seminary, we, one of our jobs was on the weekend, we were, we were house parents for uh, mentally challenged men in this home, and it was really nice on 40 acres of land, and we, we relieved the, the house parents for the week for the weekend. And at times it wasn't that bad, but there were times when it was challenging. For example, one weekend, one of the, one of the guys in the home had fallen and had broken his hip. And so I had to carry him back and forth from uh, the shower and the bathroom every, every time he needed to go in there. And without going into too much detail, just trust me when I say it was challenging, challenging weekend. And I remember thinking to myself at times, God, when I... When I surrendered to ministry, this is not what I had in mind. This is not what I signed up for. And you know what? God really dealt with me when I was thinking this way and taught me, if I'm not above being a lowly servant, neither are you. May we learn to reason in this way. If Christ, who is infinitely greater than any thought of us, Considered, did not consider his status something to cling to and humbled himself, then we should do the same. Number two, you want to experience joy through humility? Don't refuse to serve because of status. Many think because they're in a position of authority, there are some areas of service that are just kind of, they're not going to take on that role or they're not going to associate with, with this certain person because of, their, because of their role, because of their position. Listen to what Paul says in verse 7. Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When Paul says made himself nothing, 
Don't think of it in terms of subtraction, like something was, was taken away from Christ. Think of it in terms of, of addition. Christ emptied himself by what he took on. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. Notice what Paul says here. Christ made himself nothing. How? Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. In other words, Christ emptied himself by becoming one of us. By becoming a man, Christ did something that he didn't have to do. He took on a role he didn't have to take on. And if that's true of our Lord, how much more so should it be true of us? Because I'll be honest, there, there are a lot of roles in our church and, and in other churches that, that people need to take on. And they're not always fun. They're not always enjoyable. But they need to be done. And there's many people. Not, not, I'm, I haven't met people here like that. I'm not saying there are. I don't know. I hope not. But I've met people in ministry in general who, who just, they will not take on certain roles because they believe they're above it. I hope that's not you. I, this may not be a popular statement to make, but uh, I'm also, I'm, I'm not a big fan of those uh, spiritual gift surveys. Y'all familiar with those? I, I've taken those before. I've had people take them. But here's the reason why I'm not, I'm not a fan of those surveys is because I've had more people use those surveys as a reason not to serve. Ah, I can't do kids ministry. That's just not my... Can't, can't do anything with kids. That's not my spiritual gift. I can't clean or do lawn work or do this or that. It's just not my spiritual gift. They kind of use that as their trump card. Not my spiritual gift. Don't you wish you could use that a time or two? When you have to do a task? You know, I, I, I wish I could have used a trump guard and say, hey, it's not my spiritual gift to carry this guy back and forth in the shower and the bathroom, stuff like that. But, but when people say that, oftentimes when they make these statements, what they're saying is, that's not my role or my job to do it, or even more, they're saying, that job's not important enough for me to do it. I've known people to refuse to serve in certain areas because they believe they should be in a more significant role of leadership. And they told me that. To me, those who are willing to pull up their sleeves and to serve and take on difficult tasks and roles that are, that are challenging, those are the ones who are, who are truly ready for leadership. Sometimes God calls us to humble ourselves, doesn't He? And serve in ways that aren't enjoyable. Christ could have rightly said, you know, I'm, I'm God. I'm not going to empty myself. I'm not going to become one of my creations because I'm above it. But aren't you glad he didn't? Many of you probably remember not long ago the story of, of uh, Pat Tillman, football player who uh, walked away from $3.9 million offered to him to play in the NFL, and he walked away from a lucrative career to serve in the military, and that decision ended up costing him his life. He could have chosen to stay and, and play football and live a life of luxury and reap all the benefits that come with being a professional athlete, but you know what? In his country's time of need, he chose service over status, and that decision cost him his life. 
Although Christ had every right to stay where he was and to cling to all the benefits that come from being God, instead, he came to us in our time of need. And he gave his life for us. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And Paul says, have this mind in you. Have this attitude in you. Follow Christ's example and don't refuse to serve because of status. Number three, to experience joy through humility, we have to be willing to go above and beyond for others. Go above and beyond for others. Paul goes on to say, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Did Jesus go above and beyond? You bet he did, right? Notice first, Paul tells us that he went above and beyond by having a humble attitude. He says, Jesus was found in human form. Once again, the Creator enters into creation, not just as a human, but as a lowly human, the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. And what what Paul means when he says he was found in human form meant his glory was concealed. He disappeared as another face in the crowd. Look what Warren Wiersbe says about Christ's incarnation. He says, during his incarnate state, he surrendered his right to manifest himself visibly as the God of all splendor and glory. John wrote in John 1, 10 through 11, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And what? The world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. We're told even the most religious did not acknowledge or believe in Christ. Even his, even his own brothers had their doubts. That would have been tough for me. How about you? Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You're God. People doubt you. I'm like, you want to doubt me? Let me show you a little something, you know? Reveal a little glory. Smack them upside the head with it. See what they say. But Christ didn't do that, did he? Apart from his, his transfiguration and, and certain miracles and his resurrection and ascension, for the most part, he did not avoid this lowly state. His glory is concealed. We're the exact opposite, aren't we? We do all we can to avoid appearing lowly. I mean, nice clothes, I'm guilty of it as well. And cars and put trophies on the shelves and diplomas on the walls. And I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm trying to get you to understand is the great humility that Christ showed in being one of us. Paul also tells us he humbled himself. Christ didn't turn people away, does he? There's not certain people he's like, "Mm mm-mm. I'm God, I can't, I can't go there. He ministers to prostitutes, to tax collectors, to all sorts of, of, of sinners. He just sacrifices, he's so generous with his time, he pours his life into these people. Think to yourself, put yourself in Jesus' shoes again. There's certain things we wouldn't do, right? If we're God certain things we won't do, certain people we won't associate with. The reason why I can say that is we do that now, and we're not God. But Christ 
didn't. There was no role Christ was not willing to take on. He, he went so far as washing the dirt from his disciples' feet. And he calls us to do the same. Look what John MacArthur says about Christ. He says, Jesus lowered himself not only relative to God, but also to other men. Another way Christ went above and beyond is he was obedient for us. Paul says he was obedient. Do you know Jesus not only died for us, he lived for us? If he only had to die for us, he could have come down as a man, gone straight to the cross and right back up. He entered the world as an infant because he had to live for us. He had to do what Adam failed to do. He had to obey God perfectly in our place and lived his entire life in perfect obedience with the Father. Romans 5, 19, we're told, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Only through Christ's righteous life can we be considered righteous. But not only that, Paul tells us he went to this extent. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, there's a reason why Paul separates death from death on a cross. Because in those days, there was death, and then there was death by crucifixion. The worst form of death imaginable. Crucifixion was the most cruel, painful, shameful form of punishment ever conceived. It was reserved for the lowliest of criminals, the enemies of the state. Do you know that crucifixion was so shameful that no Roman citizen could be crucified, no matter how bad their crime because of how shameful it was? By putting someone on the cross, what they're saying to the world is, that person is beyond detestable. And that's where Christ went for us. That's where he went, willfully, for us. The Jews also believed and taught that anyone hung on a tree was cursed by God. The law demanded that, that a corpse be not hang on a tree all night, but, but should be taken down and be buried because it would defile the land, as it says in Deuteronomy 21. And for that reason, we can be a little more sympathetic to the Jewish people who had difficulty with the crucified Messiah, right? This was challenging for them, but Paul shows us in this passage, Christ went above and beyond to this extreme. He did not only refuse to, uh, he not only refused to cling to his equality with God, not only emptied himself by taking on flesh, he not only went beyond a, a lowly servant, he not only obeyed for us, he obeyed to the point of death, even death on a shameful cross. And the point Paul is making here is this. If Christ humbled himself to this extent, how much more so should we be willing to humble ourselves Let's be honest. We're willing to serve, right? As long as it doesn't cost us too much. I've talked about that. As long as it doesn't cost us too much with our health and our wealth. Man, think about Jim out there. <laughs> he came to mind while I was going through this. He is, he is truly making a sacrifice for the kingdom. There's a story of a missionary in Brazil who was in a, in a marketplace, and he noticed a stand with a sign that read, Cheap Crosses for Sale. And he thought to himself, Man, that's what believers are looking for. 
cheap crosses. They're willing to bear a cross as long as it's not too costly. And I'm sorry to tell you, there's no such thing. The cross, a cross that doesn't cost, isn't worth bearing. J.H. Jowett, Dr. Jowett once said this, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If we're going to make an impact for the kingdom, if we're going to follow Christ's example, we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to be willing to go above and beyond for others. And you know what the truth of the matter is? God asks so little of us in comparison to Christ. If the purest of all who ever lived can endure betrayal, denial, trial, beating, mockery, crucifixion, and the very wrath of God for us, how much more so should we be willing to sacrifice and put others before ourselves and go above and beyond for other people? Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. If the Son of Man did not come to avoid sacrifice, but to give His life for a ran- as a ransom for many, how much more so should we be willing to go above and beyond for others? Fourth and finally, you want to experience joy through humility? You have to trust that there is joy to be had in humility. Know that there is joy in it. Verse 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Although Jesus humbled himself, he put aside his his divine privileges that were rightfully his. And and although he, he was obedient to the point of death on a shameful cross, it's imperative that we remember this. He did not remain in that lowly state, did he? We're told here that although he emptied himself by taking on flesh and set aside his glory and totally obeyed the Father's will, you know what? God responds by highly exalting him and by giving him the name that is above every name. And Paul also says, there's coming a day, there's a day appointed when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is tough, isn't it? It's not always easy. But let me encourage you, know that there is joy to be had in humility and that joy is unmatched. A common kingdom principle that we see throughout the scriptures is God punishes the proud, but He exalts the humble. Proverbs 3.34 tells us, God mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. Christ tells us in Matthew 23, 11-12, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You get upset at times when you serve someone and they just don't appreciate it. Or maybe times when you humble yourself and and it just seems as if people take advantage of you when you do that. Are you fearful and, and that's the reason why you don't do it? Let me assure you of something. Even if that does happen, and I know it does, Know that God knows and is pleased with your humility. 
Rest in the fact that God blesses and brings joy to the humble. Let me end by saying this. Even though this is the case, even though God punishes the proud and He, he uh, exalts the humble, and even though the, there, there is joy in your humility, know this. There, there are none, nor will, they, will there ever be anyone who has been exalted like Christ. The Father has lifted up the Son and exalted Him in the most magnificent way possible. I want to share this quote with you from R.C. Sproul. Excuse me that it's a little uh, lengthy, but it's good. It's worth reading. R.C. Sproul says this, Jesus is enthroned at God's right hand, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. It's a profoundity that Christ now occupies the supreme seat of cosmic authority. The kings of this world and all secular governments may ignore this reality, but they cannot undo it. The universe is no democracy. It's a monarchy. And God himself has appointed his beloved son as the preeminent king. Jesus does not rule by referendum, but by divine right. Though at present it seems as if Christ's kingship, you, you just can't see it. At times it seems like it's absent. Trust me when I say and trust in God's word when it tells us that his reign is real. There is coming a day when every person is going to recognize Jesus as king by bowing before him and confessing him as Lord. No tongue in that day will remain silent and no knee will remain unbowed. All of creation will recognize that Christ is Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that all will be saved. We're told in Scripture that that's not the case. But those who have loved Him and who have faithfully followed Him in this life will, will bow in adoration and worship, while those who have refused to follow Him and have refused to recognize Him and His authority and His right to rule will bow in submission and fear as they await judgment. Either way, Christ is going to be exalted. I urge you today, if you've not already, confess Him as Lord now. Trust in Him as Lord now for your salvation and faithfully follow Him now so that in that day, your confession will be a joyous experience. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the example of humility Christ showed us and grant us with the grace needed to follow his example and to have the mind of Christ in us. If there is anyone here this morning who are refusing to recognize your authority and your right to rule, I pray today, God, you would reveal to them that Christ's reign is real. And I pray that they would choose this day to turn from their sins and trust in you alone for salvation and faithfully follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.